Welcome to Daily Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Each day we walk through the vital principles of the abundant life. Our Lord can do above and beyond all we ask or think. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Below the radar and beneath the surface, unseen to most mortal eyes, a tragedy is unfolding in our land. We are seeing rampant immorality, destruction of the family and social mores. Jesus told us this would happen. Deception, lawlessness, fear. But today in navigating the last days, let's look at the fourth thing that Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse. Immorality. Gross immorality. The spirit and temperature of the world outside affects those on the inside. I mentioned recently that we polled apostolic believers two or three years ago, and we asked them what issue was the greatest threat they had. Fear was the second most common response. Do you know what was first? Immoral desires or lusts. I think some of you may have guessed that yesterday. So long as we are in the flesh, there is the lust of the flesh. There will be desires contrary to God's purpose for our lives. I've spoken in times past to tens of thousands of teens and young adults on this very subject, that desires and God's purpose for our lives should be in parity, in harmony. That doesn't stop as a teen. It carries forward into adulthood and all throughout our lives. One of my mentors in ministry used to tell me, Ken, lust is a young man's sin. Greed is an old man's sin. He would then laugh and say, I'll keep an eye on you, you keep an eye on me. He was rarely wrong, but lust is endemic and common to all ages in some form or another. Yet the immorality I speak of is of a different character. Jesus gave us some words for the last days, words to describe our world. One of those words he described as it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah. Both of these days were marked by extreme immorality and bloodlust. Lot lived in the twin cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. The sins of those cities still reach into our modern vernacular. And we know that God judged them once the righteous were removed. This is a picture of the Lord's return when angels escorted Lot from these sin cities. Then God was free to rain down judgment upon them was William Butler Yeats who wrote a poem years back. He called it the second coming. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. Somewhere in the sands of the desert, a shape with the lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving what rough beast its hour come round at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. But it was Robert Bork who took that poem and modernized it. He wrote that Yeats couldn't know how things had fallen apart, that the center failed to hold in the latter part of the 20th century, that Yeats could not have foreseen the passionate intensity uncoupled from morality that would shred the fabric of Western culture. Let me quote now from Bork in a book that he published years ago. The rough beast of decadence, a long time in gestation, having reached its maturity in the last three decades, now sends us slouching towards our new home, not Bethlehem, 
but Gomorrah. Bork titled that book Slouching Toward Gomorrah. Fifty years ago, Alvin Toffler wrote in his classic work, Future Shock, as homosexuality becomes more socially acceptable, we may even begin to find families based on homosexual marriages with partners adopting children. That was 50 years ago that he prophesied that. We are, of course, there. I remember speaking about this at the dawn of the third millennium, talking about the rapid changes taking place around us. I also remember well-meaning people thinking that I was ridiculous, that it would never happen in America. It has and it will, because Western culture now follows the path to Gomorrah. It was in 1987, Steve Warren, a spokesman for the group ACT UP, wrote an article for The Advocate. He wrote about, and I quote, the mean-spirited nature of Judeo-Christian morality, unquote. He promised back then, nearly 35 years ago, that we as Christians would be forced to recant everything we have believed about sexuality. He promised to expunge numerous passages from the scriptures, rewrite others, redefining marriage to permit a homosexual interpretation of the passage. Have they succeeded? Mainline Christian organizations have succumbed to this onslaught. It has divided numerous denominations. It's no surprise, then, that Bible believers are being treated as self-righteous bigots or hateful lunatics by the modern world. Modern proponents of advocating using science and public opinion to change or at least silence believers, they call this the shield and sword of secular humanism, science and public opinion. They believed its work before on other fronts, and it will work on this as well. If we're going to navigate the last days, we're going to have to come face to face with this immorality, a fierce immorality. It's the fourth description Jesus used of these days. In the article I referenced a moment ago by Stephen Warren, he gave a final warning to believers to discern the times coming. He wrote, we have captured the liberal establishment and the press. We've already beaten you on a number of battlefields. And we have the spirit of the age on our side. You neither have the faith nor the strength to fight us, so you may as well surrender now. But we have a shield and a sword, and it's not carnal. And we don't rise up against people. We don't battle people. We recognize that the battles are the ideologies and philosophies and mindsets that come into this world. Our shield and sword is called faith and the word. And don't discount the power of people who believe in God and stand on the word. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit can and certainly will raise a standard. So let's talk about this fierce immorality from a scriptural perspective, using the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 8, as a woman travails with a child, that we will begin to see the birth pains or labor pains ushering in a new life, a new world. That's what the world has begun to endure right now. The hurt that we see, the pain that we're witnessing, the misery, the heart-wrenching grief, the riots, the confusion, the division, the hate. An old earth is about to give way to a new earth. In his last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, Paul, on the eve of his execution, he wrote, Mark this. There will be perilous times, terrible times in the last days. Mark it, note it, 
observe it, see it, witness it, record it. Paul described these last days, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, disobedient, ungrateful, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, treacherous, rash, conceited, a fierce immorality. Jesus said in Matthew 24, there are two historical events that set the stage for his future return. I've mentioned them as it was in the days of Noah. The days of Noah were lawless, hedonistic, lovers of pleasure, ignorant, blind toward God, violent. As hard as it is to appreciate and imagine, only Noah found grace in the sight of God. God saved one man, Noah, and his family, eight souls and all others were destroyed. Or as Jesus said, while they were going about their daily business, eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, building, the flood came and destroyed them all, all save Noah and his family. But then the second historical incident was the same in the days of Lot, going about their daily lives. Here's how Jesus described it. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire, and brimstone from heaven, and destroyed them all, all save Lot and his two daughters. Eight souls survived the flood. Four souls survived the fire, but one of those Lot's wife looked back. Now, here are the words that give us pause. In the very next verse, Jesus said, even thus, or just like this, it will be on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Here Jesus says, remember, Lot's wife. She escaped, but she turned back. And we go from eight surviving the flood to four surviving the fire. And then Jesus gets down to the language of two, two in bed, one taken, the other left. Two grinding grain, one taken, the other left. Two in the field, one taken, another left. Yes, this is the final word for us, the final word that ushers in the second coming immorality, fierce immorality. Believe what you will, but I will always believe that there's going to be a great awakening and revival, that there is a great restraining force in the world, the spirit-filled church of the living God, parents who pray, believers who fast and pray, those who cry out to God, people who reach out in faith to the heavens. We can ill afford to be silenced or canceled now. We can't let down our shield and sword. We must stand in the gap in this hour and in this day. This is our day. This is our moment. Let God arise and let our enemies be scattered. Let an awakening come, not from the powers of might and government, but let it flow down as justice across the hillsides. Let it come from the fount of God. Let every mountain and every high thing be abased and every low place and valley be exalted. Let those righteous few, relatively speaking, cry out to God. Let them keep their lamps trimmed and burning. Let them keep their wedding garments without spot or wrinkle, because soon, very soon, it's going to be over down here. And a new earth will be born, a new day will dawn. The writer of Hebrews has some advice to you and me in this area in Hebrews 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. This big old globe is spinning. The center cannot hold. This world is slouching toward Gomorrah. 
and we cannot afford to drift away. It was on the day of Pentecost when the church was born, the apostle Paul quoted Joel's prophecy of the last days. He said that the spiritual outpouring that they had just witnessed on the day of Pentecost was proof that mankind was moving into the last days. 2,000 years later, how much truer is it right now? Simon Peter preached, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, be filled with the Spirit. He also preached in the next verse, this promise is to you and to your children and all who are afar off. And then the next verse, Peter continues to preach for a long time, strongly urging believers, save yourselves from this generation that has gone astray. We know that we can't really save ourselves, that it's Christ who saves us, but we understand his wording, that we have to determine that we will be saved. When the world was at its darkness, a light shone in Bethlehem. And in the final days, the light of the world is going to be shining. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world came to the purpose for which he was born. And so will it be in the last generation. There will be a group of believers who arise and will say, we know why we're here. We are the earth's nightlight. We are the earth's final chance to be saved. We are the ones building an ark of salvation. We are the ones taking hold of heaven's hands to be saved from this world. This is the day to rise up and be the church as never before. Thank you for sharing in daily devotion with Ken Gurley. We pray this ministry has been a source of encouragement and strength to you. Please be mindful that your financial support enables us to meet with you each day. To give a donation or connect with us, visit our website at kengurley.com. There you will also find the latest books, podcasts, and resources. Blessed, 90 Days to Change Your World is Pastor Gurley's latest book. You can get your copy of this life-changing book at kengurley.com. May God's favor rest on you in every way until we meet again.